After today, I have just uh, five more Sundays with you here at Grace Community Church. And so what I've been doing over the past several weeks and what I'm going to continue to do for the, uh, the next few weeks is I really want to think with you and talk um, through so, what I consider to be some very important passages in Scripture for understanding what it means to come to Jesus and to follow Him. And so Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, I think is one of those passages. Um, so if you have your bulletin, you can find the passage, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16 on page 12. Um, and there is a little typo there. Galatians is in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. So um, if you want to turn your Bible, look towards the end, uh, not the beginning. Um, so this is from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, let's give our attention now to God's holy and inerrant word, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's go before Him just briefly to pray and ask for His help as we look at this passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that You would allow us um, to sit beneath Your Word now in humility, knowing that we are Your creation and You are our Creator but also knowing that we are fallen and broken as Your creation. Um, But even as we sit beneath Your Word humbly, we pray that You would also allow us to sit beneath it with great confidence. Um, Great confidence because we know that You are speaking to us through Your Word. Um, And we know from reading Your Word that when You open Your mouth to speak, Your words do not return to you void or empty. We know that when you open your mouth to speak, you call things into being that were not. We know um, by reading the gospel accounts uh, that our Savior, when He came and walked this earth, when He spoke, it was by the power of His voice that the blind were made to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and even the dead came out of their tombs. Father, Allow us to hear Your voice with that kind of confidence this morning, to know that You are here to wake us up, to call us to hear and obey, and to even raise the dead to life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Um, one of the most obvious things, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Galatians, one of the most obvious things about Paul's letter to the Galatians, I think is probably one of the easiest things to miss. Um, and if we miss it, we're going to end up with a very distorted view of Christianity. Um, in an old Indian, uh, ancient Indian proverb uh, about blind men who, you've probably heard this before, who encountered an elephant um, and you each used their hands to feel the, a different part of the elephant and describe it. Um, one man came up and he put his hands out and he stretched them out and he felt the side of the elephant, its belly, and he said, very clearly, uh, the elephant, whatever it is, it's very much like a wall. Um, and then the next guy comes up and he got a hold of one of the legs of the elephant and he said, no, 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 you're all wrong. I'm feeling the elephant here and this is very much like a tree, the trunk of a tree. And still another blind man grabbed a hold of the elephant's trunk and he said, no, you're both wrong. Uh, the elephant is much more like a snake than any of those things. Um, and so on and so on. And hopefully you get the point. Their view, each man's view of the elephant was distorted right? Because they couldn't see how the individual parts related to the whole. Um, now, stay with me just a second. It's very easy in Galatians to get so close to the individual parts of Paul's letter that we often miss the most obvious thing about his letter to the Galatians. And here it is. Paul wrote this letter to Christians, and initially, that seems anticlimactic, <laughs> right? Um, so what? Um, but think about this. Paul is going at such, through such great lengths to describe the gospel to Christians. And this is actually a, a, a paradigm shift for many of us. You know, a paradigm shift is something that just fundamentally changes your view of things, right? To understand what an elephant actually is, um, that changes your view entirely. It's actually nothing like a wall, a tree, or a snake, right? Paul is saying the gospel isn't just the way you become a Christian. It is that. But what he's saying in this letter is he's saying the gospel is also the way you live the Christian life and how you live the Christian life. See, most of us think that the gospel is just the elementary stuff, the ABCs of the Christian life, where Paul is saying, no, the gospel is the advanced stuff. It's everything. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's everything, and that's a paradigm shift for a lot of us. And it becomes very clear in this passage because Paul is explaining here how the gospel operates in the life of a Christian. Now, if everything I've said so far has failed to impress you about why you need to listen to this, let me try to be just a little bit more practical right now. All of your fears in your life that seem to at times dominate your life, all of your bitterness in life, all of your lack of joy that you have in life, all of your insecurities, all of your inability to overcome certain sins in your life and patterns of brokenness in your life, right? All of your failing to live freely as you should, it all can be traced back to missing this. Paul is giving us a whole new way for seeing all of life through the lens of the gospel. And to the degree that you get it, 
you'll find real freedom, you'll find joy, and you'll find power to change and grow in this life and make real progress in the Christian life. It happens when you understand how the gospel operates in the life of a believer. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about how the gospel uh, operates in three points. I want us to see that the gospel has a trajectory, that the gospel has a shovel, and that the gospel has an answer. And I'm going to explain those, but here they are. It has a trajectory, a shovel, and an answer. First, the gospel has a trajectory. The key verse here is verse 14, where Paul wrote that he saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, that's one English translation. Another translation says that they weren't acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And the Greek word that the translators are trying to translate right there is the Greek word orthopedeo which you may even see it already uh, as you break that word down. Ortho means, right, to, to make straight, as in a straight line. My kids are, are all getting braces now, um, right? They're trying to put their teeth in a straight line. That's what the orthodontist is for. And padeo is the word for feet or walking, right? Walking in a straight line. Now listen, because if you miss this, you're going to miss everything. Paul is saying that the gospel has a particular trajectory to it, that the gospel has a line. He's saying the Christian life isn't primarily meant to be following laws and rules necessarily, but by getting in line with the gospel trajectory. Here's the scene in this passage. Peter, or Cephas, as Paul calls him in this passage, had come to Antioch. And while he was there, he enjoyed this fellowship with the Gentiles. He knew the truth of the gospel. These Gentiles had perfect and full acceptance and the complete love of God through Jesus and Jesus alone. There wasn't one little rule. There wasn't one little thing that they had to do in in addition to Jesus to get that, to get the confidence that they were absolutely loved and perfectly accepted by their Father in heaven. Not circumcision, not keeping any of the Jewish clean laws or the ceremonial laws that that involve things like only eating certain foods. And so Peter, Paul is saying, he was right there with these Gentiles. He was eating a pulled pork sandwich with them or something like that, right? But then verse 12 comes. And these men came from James, Paul says. And they were saying something different. They were saying something like this. They were saying, Paul was right that you need to believe in Jesus. But you know what Paul did? He watered down the truth for you. He watered down the gospel for you. Jesus is necessary, but if you really want to be assured that God loves you and accepts you and approves of you fully, then you need to keep these other rules too, like eating, certain, eating, eating the right foods. And when they came, we're told in verse 12 that Peter and the others, even Barnabas, he says, got up and changed tables. They didn't want to be seen anymore with these dirty, unclean, uncircumcised Gentiles who weren't living up to code. Look, you and I know exactly what's happening in this passage. This is racism. Right? Peter and these others were saying, Our culture, our race is superior to yours. We're better than you because of the way we live. So the question is, how did Paul 
confront Peter's sin and the racism that was starting to spread in this community. He didn't say, Peter, you are so rude. That's bad manners. He didn't say, Peter, shame on you because you're breaking the no racism law. I mean, he could have gone to numerous passages in the Bible to talk about how Scripture showed that racism was indeed breaking God's law. But instead, what Paul did with Peter and these others is he showed them the gospel trajectory. He said the gospel has a line. It creates a trajectory for your life. He's saying, Peter, your life has gotten out of step and out of line with the truth of the gospel, with the trajectory of the gospel. Now, I got, do you understand how profound this is? My, uh, my dad was in the military, and his area of expertise had to do with missiles. And so during the Cold War, it was launching nuclear missiles. And uh, after that, he was involved in launching a lot of satellites into space for the Air Force. And when he was the wing commander at our nation's main satellite base in Colorado Springs, he brought me to work with him one day, and he walked me through the halls, and we got to go through all these huge two-foot-thick two uh, steel, you know, vault-like doors and all this kind of stuff. I, I felt really special. It was really cool. And um, as we made our way through some of these doors, uh, we got to kind of the inner sanctum control center, if you will. And as we were walking into this room, he pointed to this room that was sealed off completely from everything else um, that was there. And it was just wall-to-wall computers and blinking lights in this room. And he said, all those computers in that room are dedicated to keeping this one clock, this digital clock that they had on the wall, in perfect time. Um, and so he went on to explain why that clock was so important in what they did. He said, because when you're launching satellites thousands and thousands of miles into space in order to get into a particular orbit, you have to make some pretty precise calculations. In order to get that, it's got to be just a perfect trajectory in order to wind up, wind up in the right orbit. And so if you miss that line, if you miss that trajectory, it might not appear to be that big of a deal at first. But in reality, that missile will be hundreds and hundreds of miles off target and miss its orbit completely. See, if you miss what Paul is doing here, and you've missed, you, you've completely missed the good news of the gospel by hundreds and hundreds of miles. This is how profound. He didn't say to Peter, I want to show you how terrible you are. He said, I want you to remember how good and gracious God is. He didn't use fear, and he didn't use guilt, and he didn't use shame to correct Peter. And immediately you ought to recognize how different that is from the way you normally approach life. Because you look at porn on your computer, or you lose your temper with your spouse, or with your children, or you manipulate your boss by gossiping about a coworker or something like that. And when you realize it, you want to change. And so you start, the way you try to change yourself is you start telling yourself how terrible you are. And you use shame, and you use guilt, and you use fear to motivate yourself to change. But Paul says, the real problem in your life is that you've forgotten how much God loves you in Jesus. 
That's the real problem. You run to sex, you run to anger, you run to manipulation because you forgot how incredibly good God is. That He has reconciled you to Himself through Jesus and Jesus alone. And you aren't living in line with the truth of that news. You're in the wrong orbit and you're out of step with the trajectory of the gospel. We've got to keep going, but I hope that you can already just get a taste for how different an approach to life this is. Verse 12 tells us plainly that Peter and the others, they changed tables, and they changed tables because of fear. And to correct them, Paul didn't use more fear, but the love of Jesus. Second, the gospel has a shovel. Let me explain this. Um, When Paul says that the gospel has a trajectory, when he says the gospel has a trajectory and your life is meant to be lived in line with that trajectory, he's also showing us at the same time how the gospel gets beneath the surface stuff of our lives. Listen, if all you see are rules and laws, you will only be dealing with the superficial behavioral stuff of your life. And as a result, you'll never experience deep change in your life. And you won't find the freedom to overcome sin in your life. If Paul had simply said to Peter and the others, follow the no racism law, the behavior might have been addressed. But that wouldn't have addressed the deep roots of that sin, the arrogance, the superiority, the pride, and so on. It would, it would have just found another way to express itself. The gospel trajectory takes you deeper. The gospel has a shovel that digs deep into your heart to expose and heal the roots of your brokenness and sin. My first major expense as a homeowner came when we were living in Mississippi. And the house we were living in, some of you have heard this, it started to have all these plumbing problems. And first, the, on one side of the house, the washing machines started backing up, and then the kitchen sink started backing up with water. And then it worked its way down the hallway, and the bathtub down the hallway started filling up with water and wouldn't drain. And our, our plumbing problems were just creeping their way down the house. And uh, so I finally called the plumber, and he broke the news to me that the problem wasn't with the washing machine, and it wasn't with the kitchen sink, and it wasn't with the bathtub. It was the main plumbing line underneath the house that had settled and flattened, and as a result, the water couldn't drain properly. And so I said to him, do what you need to do then and fix this problem for us. So the next day, there's a tractor in my backyard and a bunch of men with shovels. And they had cracked through my concrete patio and dug a trench so that they could get underneath my house, right, to fix that plumbing line because that's where the real problem was. It was underneath all this stuff. All the other stuff was just symptoms, right? And then when he was done, he handed me a bill and I I realized I I chose the wrong career path. Um, Those guys get paid very well. Um, Yeah, the American dream of owning a a home is really the American nightmare. Uh, But listen, the stuff on the surface, this is the point, those were symptoms of a much deeper issue. And there was no way to get to that deeper issue without shovels and tearing up my backyard. And what you and I need is for the gospel to come into our lives like a shovel, and to get into our backyards and start tearing things up, and to dig deep into our hearts and get to the root 
of all our problems, issues, and sin. Can you see how Paul is using the gospel like a shovel in Peter's life? It's there at the end of verse 14 and verse 15 and 16. Paul was saying to Peter and to these others, he was saying, God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race or your culture or your performance. He brought you in and He has fellowship with you completely and entirely on the basis of Jesus' work. And that's it. So how, this is what he's saying, so how dare you turn around and base your fellowship with others on the basis of your race, culture, or performance? Do you see how the shovel is doing its work? What was the gospel unearthing and exposing beneath the surface of Peter's life? It was exposing in him this suspicion that Jesus alone wasn't quite enough to make him beautiful, to make him approved, to make him worthy, right? My obedience, my performance, my race, my culture, that's what really makes me beautiful in God's eyes. I mean, you study every experience of racism from, from Hitler's Nazi regime to Rwanda's genocide to uh, America's struggle with racism, and underneath it you will find a deep insecurity to gain approval, acceptance, and beauty, and to prove worth and significance. You know, at this time of year, I always go back and I, I try to read Martin Luther's Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, and, and near the beginning of that letter, he wrote to Christian pastors and clergymen, he wrote this, I'm sure that each one of you would want to go beyond the superficial social analyst who looks merely at effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. Please see here how Paul uses the gospel like a shovel to dig beneath and to unearth underlying causes to bring about real change. Paul was dealing with the favoritism and the partiality of racism and going after its roots with this gospel shovel. But listen, the principle here, it addresses every problem in your life, every sin in your life, every issue in your life, not just racism. I mean, maybe it's sexual sin and addiction of that form that we talked about a moment ago that has you in its grips right now. Or maybe it's your workaholism. Or maybe it's your anger and your bitterness that you can't seem to overcome and move forward in this life. I want you to hear me clearly here. You will never overcome it. And you'll never even be able to even understand it in your life until you use the gospel like a shovel in your life. The sex and the workaholism and the anger, they are just symptoms bubbling to the surface of your life. You run to sex because you need someone's adoration to feel beautiful, or you need to feel power or, or, or to control and attract someone in order that you would feel valuable. You're a slave, right? to performing and achieving and accomplishing in your career and climbing the ladder because you need it. You need it to feel valuable and significant because Jesus isn't enough. He's not enough to tell you your worth or your significance. You struggle with anger and bitterness because someone or circumstances themselves have kept you from something you feel like you need in your life in order to be complete and whole and fulfilled because Jesus isn't enough. 
the gospel isn't elementary stuff. It, it is the advanced stuff. You only really change to the degree that you get the gospel down deep, down deep into the places in your life that it hasn't penetrated yet. You need a gospel shovel to expose right, the roots of your brokenness and heal those very same roots with the good news. One more thing, and then we'll be on to the last point. I think it's very easy for us to hear all of this stuff and just all of a sudden start falling back into the same patterns of shame, guilt, and fear. I'll just talk about myself for a moment. There are so many places in my life where I have failed to take the gospel deeply. Because the truth is, I would much rather have a gospel rake than a gospel shovel, right? Because a rake just kind of comes over the surface, and it doesn't hurt that much. But a shovel that breaks through hard ground, that's painful stuff. And so we avoid it. And we try to keep the gospel at a safe distance. But listen, don't fall back into using shame and guilt and fear over that. Listen, take some hope from this passage. Peter, an apostle whom Jesus absolutely loved, and as Paul wrote, even Barnabas. Right, Barnabas, who was with Paul on the front lines of preaching the good news to the Gentiles, they both failed. And they both had to struggle to get their lives back in line with the trajectory of the gospel. They both had to work out its implications. They had to get it deep into their lives. Uh, Martin Luther, the theologian this time, uh, who's Martin Luther King's namesake, wrote about these verses. No one has fallen so badly that he cannot rise again. And on the other hand, no one is so sure-footed that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I may fall too. But if he rose again, I may also rise again. And so I'm trying to encourage you this morning, even though you and I have failed time and time again to do exactly what Paul is talking about here and taking up the gospel and using it like a shovel, you can rise again. And you won't rise again through shame, guilt, or fear, but you will only rise again through the good news of Jesus. That there is nothing you can do to add to Jesus' person or work to make you more acceptable, to make you more loved, to make you more beautiful in your Father's eyes. And until you get that, you won't change. All right, last thing here. Third thing, last thing. The gospel has an answer. And the question is, an answer to what? To use the language of Paul in verses 15 and 16, the gospel has an answer to the deep cry of our hearts for righteousness for something that will justify our lives. You don't need to get thrown by those religious-sounding words here. The cultural anthropologist uh, Ernest Becker, who is not a Christian, wrote a famous book called The Denial of Death. He wrote that all of humanity, religious or or irreligious, is in pursuit of some kind of righteousness to justify our lives, to prove that we're enough that we're valuable, that we're worthy, we're lovable. He wrote, humanity is in pursuit of what he called a salvation strategy. We all are. And Paul is saying every salvation strategy, religious or irreligious, can be boiled down to one of two contrasting views of life, right? You will either freely receive righteousness through Jesus alone, a free gift that you can never improve upon, 
through your performance, but they can also never be lost by your failure. A full and perfect beauty that covers you completely. You'll either do it that way, or you're going to have to work for it. And you're going to have to strive to measure up to it and earn it. And it doesn't matter if you work for it religiously or irreligiously. Because you can be trying to find it in your career or in the creativity of your art or in your being a successful parent or in the love of your spouse or in your morality. And if you do, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to end up feeding the twin sisters of arrogant superiority and deep insecurity in your life. On the one hand, you'll look at your achievements and your successes and your art and your parenting and all, all this kind of stuff, and you'll be working to convince yourself that you have value, that you have worth, that you have significance because you aren't like those people, right? But watch out because the moment you fall and the moment you fail morally or your artistic creativity dries up or you fail your children or your spouse betrays you, that superiority is going to turn into a howling insecurity in your life until you lose all sense of self. The deep insecurity underneath all your striving will be exposed in that moment. Now contrast that with freely receiving righteousness through Jesus alone. Because if the good news of the gospel gets worked deeply into your heart and you see how it answers that deep cry of your heart for righteousness you'll find that righteousness in Jesus. And therefore, you will become untouchable. Your righteousness will be untouchable by your successes or your failures. You'll find a worth, a value, a significance, a beauty that's uncorruptible. And you'll begin seeing the trajectory it creates. Because listen, that it creates and nurses two twin sisters as well, but the twin sisters of radical humility and bold confidence. Why? Because the gospel on the one hand says to you, yes, your sin and brokenness is profound. Nothing less than the death of the Son of God could deal with your sin. But at the same time, it creates a confidence that He loved you so completely and so fully and so perfectly and so thoroughly that He willingly and gladly died for you and gave up his life for you. And it creates real confidence. I'm almost done. Peter, Peter, the others, even Barnabas, they caved to pressure on the day that Paul described for us in this passage. But Paul himself somehow was able to stand up for the truth of the gospel because he had a resource, a resource of incredible confidence to speak truth to power. Right? He, he, he never had to stoop to using fear and shame and guilt, and he was able to speak truth with love and grace and humility. How is that possible? It's because in the gospel he found an answer to his heart's cry for righteousness, because the gospel had been worked deeply into his heart, and because he saw the gospel trajectory for his life, and the beauty of the gospel powerfully changed him. Listen, Rainier Rilke He was an Austrian poet in the late 19th century, early 20th century, and one day he went to a museum and he sat all day in front of a Greek statue of Apollo. And after sitting for an entire day before this statue, captivated by the artistry and the incredible beauty of this statue, he wrote the poem that's on the front of your bulletin or on the inside of the 
first cover. Um, the title of that poem is Apollo's Archaic Torso. And the version I put in your bulletin, it's a very loose transla- translation, but it gives you a taste of the beauty he saw in that statue. But the ending, the last line there, for its searing gaze penetrates your soul the way you live. It's not a bad translation, but a much more literal translation would be like this. For there is no angle from which it cannot see you. You have to change your life. Rilke was saying that when he was confronted with true beauty, he didn't have a choice. Confronted with true beauty, he, he felt he had to change his life. True beauty was calling for a beautiful life. It was pulling him into its trajectory and into its orbit, and it was digging deeply into his heart. The gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. It's everything. It is the A to Z. It is the advanced stuff. To see the true beauty of God offering himself as a sacrifice for you, that's the beauty that you need that will begin to change you deeply. And if you come to Jesus and learn the answer of the gospel to your deep need for righteousness, and you get in line with its beautiful trajectory and let it dig down into the deepest places of your heart, it will change you profoundly. It will transform you from the inside out. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You for the wonderful good news of the gospel that comes and declares sinners to be righteous before You because of the person and work of Jesus. And Father, we pray that You would indeed allow us to see that beauty, to be reminded of that beauty, to get in line with that beauty in order that our lives might be changed not because we're looking to earn anything from You, but because we're looking to serve You, because we're looking to get in line with the beauty of the good news of the gospel in Jesus. Father, would You change us for Your sake and for our good, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.